I'm Dave Laird. I'm Matt Booker. I'm Adam Levin. And here in the Great Concavity, it's your ass, Ace. Awesome. Well, welcome everybody to episode 53 of The Great Concavity. We are joined by very special guest, Adam Levin. Adam, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Is that, is that from Stand By Me? Is that from Stand By Me? It's your ass ace? It's your ass ace. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I never even thought of that because that's, that's Kiefer Sutherland's name in Stand By Me, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Ace. That's one of my favorite lines where he's like, what are you going to do, Gordy shoot us all? He's like, no ace, just you. <laughs> 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 nice. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry to interrupt the intro. No, no worries. Welcome to the show. Thank man. you. Yes, Thank welcome you. to the show, man. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Great to have you. To um, if you've listened to this show at all in the last four and a half years since we've been doing it, you've no doubt heard the name Adam Levin like probably at least 10 or 15 times. You come up a lot on the show, Adam. Uh, I'm a huge fan of your novel, The Instructions, that came out in 2010 with McSweeney's. And we are very excited to have you here today to talk about that, as well as your forthcoming novel, Bubblegum which hits shelves on April 14th. Uh, we are recording about three weeks in advance of that right now. By the time this comes out, we'll be about that. It'll come out that week or so. Great. Uh, which gives folks a chance to check it out, you know, really shortly after this episode comes out. So uh, we're excited to get to talk to you about that. Uh, you're also the author of a short story collection called Hot Pink, which was also out on McSweeney's, mm -hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And... Your writing has come out in lots of other numerous publications like The New Yorker, McSweeney's, Esquire, Playboy. Uh, you had a brand new short story called Kid Positive, came out on the March 2nd issue of The New Yorker, which also was very coolly accompanied with an audio recording of it by you narrating it, which I listened to again today. Huh. Uh, and it's really funny and, and smart and thoughtful. Thanks, uh, and of course, you've, you've won a lot of awards like the New York Public Library Young Lions Fiction Award. Uh, the National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship, the National Jewish Book Award finalist, and uh, and you spent a lot of your time in Chicago, and now you're currently out of Florida. So uh, there's a little bio uh, for everybody about who you are. Thanks. And uh, maybe maybe start by just telling us a bit about um, you know what is it about Wallace that 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 spoke to you? Um, obviously, we'll get into how you've you've quite frequently been compared to Wallace. Um, but maybe get a, give us a bit of a sense of your background with him and, and maybe a bit of your story of becoming a novelist. And then and we'll dive in after that. All right. Well, um, so as, as far as Wallace goes, um, I think, you know, the first time I read him, it was, it was Infinite Jest. And I just, I had a friend who kind of wouldn't shut up about it. It was, you know, it was, <laughs> I think it was 1997. It had just come out in paperback. Um, and he, right. he actually is sort of this, this guy's like 10 years older than me and um, this pal of mine. And... He, he actually drove me to the bookstore and bought it for me because I, I was I didn't have any money and and, um, and then it, it really like I you know I, I have all this sort of romantic um, book you love kind of things associated with it. I remember where I was sitting like I remember it as sort of like this like series of you know postures in a certain room um, that and it was right. just I read it in you know I think four or five weeks the first time like just epically read it that's all I did I went to work and I read it it was the summer yeah um and uh and I don't know and you know look forward to coming home to it and and I think that that um 
what spoke to me about it in it more than anything was just how funny it was. Um, Mm -hmm. and obviously like it it was a, it it was maybe not obviously, but for me it was a different, it was a different book than, um, any other kind of book I'd read. And yet it seemed like it, it had, uh, to me, like the way I described it to myself at the time. And I think to some degree, the way I still do is it it sort of seemed like it it was this bringing together of, um, JD Salinger and Kurt Vonnegut. (laughs) Um, yeah. those, those were, those were kind of my heroes at the time and still, still Salinger certainly still is, and, um, yeah. and Vonnegut too. And, and, and it was, it was this guy who was going to play around with form a lot, um, and go to wild places and at the same time create this extremely, um, intimate story, um, at, at all mm-hmm. times. And it's, a, you know, in, infinite justice, like the intimate story of 70 different people. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, it really is, you know, particularly Holland Gailey. But um, but really, at any moment, you're never you never sort of see like a, you know, a, a sketch of a character. It, it, it is. He lets them all sort of bloom um, yeah. into three dimensions. And uh, yeah, I don't know. And it just and it blew me away. And, you know, and I liked you know, I, I think that this this friend of mine, the way he he kind of prepared me to read it was, and, and it's what I tell people when I recommend it because, you know, people see it and they're like, oh, it's so challenging. and has this reputation as being this horribly challenging book. Like it's going to hurt yeah. to read, like it's eating your vegetables, <laughs> you know, it's your vegetables. And, and, um, and he's, you just read it at the first time you read it, you read it like it's a collection of short stories. That's about, about 70 different characters who live in the mm-hmm. same world. And, and if you, yeah. and if you don't try to really, um, track it, plot wise, like according to the spy stuff and, you know, you're naturally curious about, um, the movie and then otherwise you just fall into these stories of these characters and addiction and, you know, Mm. family life. Um, and, and it all does end up adding up, but you don't need to be following it the way you do most novels or the way you feel you need to follow most novels. Yeah, Um, that's a good way to put it. And then when you go back and read it again, then all the plot stuff actually starts seeming sort of not conventional, but like it's, it's pretty there. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's fairly simple. Um, once you take the sort of high concept of the tape of of the Mm -hmm. movie, um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know that. So that's, yeah, that, that was, that was my experience. Nice. Um, So can I ask whenever you started writing the instructions, um, then did you think like, oh shit, if I keep writing in this number of pages, once I get a thousand pages or something, people are going to compare me to people who write thousand page novels. Um, you know, how, how is your process like going into that experience? I assume you, you wrote some of the instructions in your MFA program. I, d- right? I did. I did. I wrote, I wrote yeah. like the first yeah. 350 pages there, 350 or so. And that was Syracuse. That was Syracuse. Syracuse, Syracuse yeah. Right? Yeah. And George Saunders was one of your teachers there, is that right? Saunders yeah, he was my he was my thesis advisor. He was Oh uh, he was, yeah, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And he's got Best guy. Best guy. And he's got Saunders as your primary endorsement on the back of Bubblegum, which we'll get to a bit later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was pretty sweet. Yeah, no doubt. <sighs> I mean, really the nicest fucking guy, can we just say like everyone like I, I oh, no, he if is. you have anyone that says something bad about Saunders, like they're lying. They're lying. Like no one's ever They're lying or they're they're they're, they're mentally ill, they're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they're 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 the bad guy. Yeah, or, yeah. Like, uh, or they're the devil. Or or he's the, the devil, and he's the most charming <laughs> devil on earth. He, he, you know, he's he's conned every single he's human. He's the Kaiser Sose <laughs> of the literary world. Yeah, yeah. 
No, no, he's he's he was he's great. He's he's such a good dude, but he's he's also you know uh, just a phenomenal teacher. Like oh, you know, God. teaching writing um, is sort of. Uh, usually, uh, uh, there are some great, there are some really great creative writing teachers, but there are also a lot of people who aren't really teaching anything. And, and, and he, he does like, I feel like everyone, um, who was a student of his really came away from it feeling that they had improved a lot more quickly Mm -hmm. than they would have had they not been his student. And that's the most, you know, you can ask from a, from an art teacher. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's 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 the he's the real deal. He's 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 great, and he's one of my favorite writers too. Oh so. yeah, outrageous, yeah. legit. Yeah. Um, no, my question was just basically like the 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 big book <laughs> question. Like you know, it used to be Infinite Justice published in a different time. Instructions published really in a different time than we're in now. Sure. Um, and like you know, what's your feeling about it? Like the the length of the novel versus what's what's you know, expected of people to read. How do you feel about, I mean, yourself, like I, we love these books. We're drawn to them because they are big novels. Like, what does that say about us? Like, is that (laughs) like, tell me I'm bad. I don't know. No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm actually not particularly drawn to large novels. I mean, I read them. I'm I'm reading executioner song right now, but, but I actually don't read them that frequently. Hmm. Um, and I, I think it's, it's, um, I, I think it's it's a weird thing to talk about uh, big novels as though it's a as though it's a genre. Like on the one hand, yeah, and then on the other, it it also does. There's a different experience that's created when you're spending more time with a book. Um, so I don't know. I think I I, I I maybe surprisingly don't have that strong of an opinion uh, or, or set of thoughts on big novels in themselves. Like I, I always want just, I, I read the way I write, which is like very line to line. And so if something mm-hmm. can blow me away for, uh, you know, 800 pages or a thousand pages, that's wonderful. And if it can't, then I wish it was shorter. Um, but it's, the, I could say the same thing about a 200 page novel, yeah. um, 300 page novel of which plenty of them stop blowing me away after 10 pages, if they ever blew me away at all, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I I think that's fair enough. I mean, I guess I'm comparing it to like I'm walking down the street, right? And I see a store Mm. and I can tell like at a glance, like, am I even slightly interested (laughs) in this store? I'm the same way at a, at a, at a bookstore, right? Like I can walk, walk down the aisle and just at a glance, I'm like, oh shit, this is a a out of print Joseph McElroy novel. I've never, I'm going to pick it up. Like whether or not I've, I've even read a page of it. I guess that's. You know, there there are people I think who will pick up this book and have picked up the instructions in the past because it appeals to those people who have had, you know, sort of love affair with other longer sure, novels. Sure. And um, you know, I think another thing that maybe Dave can speak to too is like the sort of different characters. Like, there's definitely a main character in this book and the instructions, but there are a lot of other well-developed characters, yeah. just like you were saying yeah. in Wallace. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you've done a, a great job with bringing out a lot of other, um, not just characters, but like narrative strands. So that's, you know, of the different varieties of multiple, like long novels, this one is unique in that you have those different narrative strands that are sort of, I don't know, eclectically yeah. developed, <laughs> like, you know, I don't even know the word because like postmodern sounds so dated. Like, I, don't <laughs> I think you're looking for the term post postmodern, Matt, or po po post 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 whatever's after post post postmodern. <laughs> yeah. um, 
But, you know, I mean, if someone picks it up and flips it through, right, they'll see like, oh, there's an instruction manual and right. there's like dialogue and a student paper, yep. and, like these different modes. Yep. And like, uh, I guess my question for you is like how much of that when you're writing it is um, decided as you go and like how much of that is planned? Almost none of it's planned. I, I plan very little. You don't have the crazy but, whiteboard with all the like red yarn connecting dots between all the as you no, map out. And, and no, map out. you know what happened with the instructions, and I think to to a much lesser degree with bubblegum because I learned my lesson was there was a certain point in the, in the instructions where I was really low on money, um, and I had like I don't know, I think like five hundred pages, and I had this agent, and I was like, "You got to sell this thing for me," <laughs> and she said you know, you have to write a synopsis, okay, and so, of, of what's not there, and so I sat down, and I wrote a synopsis that was, I think, seriously, like, 80 double space pages, and, <laughs> Jesus, yeah, and then, and then, and then, like, that got, like, some editors interested, they read the, the first part of it, but, you know, no one was giving me money, mm-hmm. and th- so then I was like, shit, um, and I would look at the synopsis and I would just like, I have such kind of like an authority problem or maybe just like a, I'm bored by things that I know. And so I, I undermined everything in the synopsis, like any step of the way I would sometimes check it. Cause you get like, I'd be like, I'm a little stuck and I would look at my synopsis and I would be like, well, I'm not doing that shit. <laughs> so, so it was like, so, so, so outlining is really bad for me. Like okay. I have, yeah. I have this, it's really childish, like this sort of authority problem to the point where like if i make a thing it's not it's too much authority amazing um if i have some instructions so so with bubblegum i kind of didn't do that with with bubblegum though it was weird because it it the first thing i wrote in it actually was the was was the left side of the instruction manual it was like one of the instruction manuals mm-hmm. and yep. um Whoa. and so so i wrote that and i, I mean <laughs> it's weird to even say it was the first thing i wrote in it. i don't know it's 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 weird to sort of like <laughs> dig through you know how a book came about but it was like cause i wrote about i wrote about belt and his father like in syracuse and then i just I, it kept sucking i kept writing like, oh, this wow. short story yeah. and it sucked and sucked and um <laughs> and then um i you know and then whatever i wrote a bunch of other stuff and and uh and then when i finished like editing hot pink I started looking at like I had some ideas about curios, what came to be the curios, and um, and those ideas ended up being stupid. Um, and then so I just I sat down and wrote this instruction manual. I guess what I mean is the instruction manual is really apart from apart from this one piece of this scene in Bubblegum where um, Clyde, the father comes back from his fishing trip and there's this, he has this monologue about this glass of water. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, like the instruction manual is the first thing that I wrote, um, that ended up staying in the book. And like that part with Clyde was from like almost 20 years ago, you know, from wow. 17 years ago. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. so each of these oh, books wow. that yeah. took you about a decade to write, if I'm not, if, if what I've heard is correct. Yeah. 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 I think so. Something like this one. This one was a little less time than the instructions. The instructions took about, I think, nine. Right, because you had Hot Pink came out in twenty twelve. Right? Yeah, yeah, but that was mostly written before oh, okay. before the instructions was finished. Yeah. So it was like, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's all how you kind of. This took. This was like. I think I started Bubblegum in earnest. Like I threw aside all else. Like <laughs> probably six months after Hot Pink was published. Okay. Um, and, and I was just like, okay, like this is, this is what I, is, is trapping me. 
Mm-hmm. This is what I have to work on. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I finished it like summer of 2017. So, so I think it was like five years of, you know, daily earnest yeah. only bubblegum work. And wow. before that, probably on and off, like, you know, six, seven months, eight months. And then after it's sold, you know, a little more work with the revisions. So, yeah. Cool. Probably seven years. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. So going back to the, the Wallace comparison question, um, Mary Carr, mm. who we're all, everyone who listens to this is very familiar with because it's obviously her and mm. Wallace dated. Uh, she said about the instructions that the ghost of D.F. Wallace would relish comparisons to this brave new talent, this year's best debut by a country mile. Um, yeah, that was nice. That's a pretty that's a pretty nice uh, endorsement. Um, and so I'm curious, yeah. like that was you know that was ten years ago. A lot of reviews that mm. came out about the instructions were comparing you to Wallace. And yeah, of course yeah. the thing is like yeah, you write a long novel, you get compared to Wallace, but like as if as if he was the first person to write a long novel, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of obviously right. a bit silly. Yeah, as if as if um, Cervantes didn't exist. Yeah, totally. Or the you know the Russians yeah. or in nineteenth in century. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um. Yeah. So like yeah. I know in the interview magazine in twenty twelve, you were asked this question like, "Do you find this flattering?" What What's your take on that now in twenty twenty? I mean, there have been some kind of developments well, yeah. about Wallace's uh, persona, how he's perceived, especially in certain you know pockets of the internet yeah. where. People are not very happy with how some of his personal life stuff shook out. Um, right. Where do you sort of land with that now, 10 years later, I wonder? I land with it where I, I could care less about anyone's personal life. So it's <laughs> yeah. it, like, really like, yeah. no, I mean, seriously, like I couldn't read the Russians. They, they all they all hated Jews. I mean, like, I don't like I, I, I can't care about that shit. That's uh-huh. that is not how to how to approach art. Um, for me at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, maybe he was a jerk. I've, I have no idea. I've read accounts of him being a jerk. Mm-hmm. I've read accounts of him not being a jerk. I've known you know, people <laughs> who've been a student, you know, like yeah. I, I actually don't care. And like, you know, I find like, and this might come from having been a fan of Salinger for so long and really enjoying the fact that Salinger hid from everything. Like mm-hmm. I, that always seemed to be a great move. Um, Pension anytime you hear just... anything about Salinger, it's gross shit about him, you know, drinking piss or something, you know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> no, seriously. Like what? it's, it's like, I, you know, I don't know if you guys heard that stuff. It's, I don't want to spread it. Oh, know, it's, that's yeah, true. It's, and, jo- and Joyce Maynard and yeah. all of that. But, um, I, I, I'm sort of like relieved to hear that. Cause that's sort of the way that I have tried to read, especially in the past, like 10 years where, you know, there's a lot of personal shit where i'm like i just don't even want to know yeah. what this fucking person did yeah. and like i i really like I, I read a book by dalton trumbo and i'm like i actually don't even want to read his biography i'm like i just want to read his work mm-hmm. and before i do that anyways i i realize we've been talking about this book for like 30 minutes you and we given haven't a brief like, even told summary what it's <laughs> yeah, about. Totally. Like yeah i was gonna say we should backtrack day. a little bit i'm like fuck <laughs> maybe we should we should backtrack a little bit and be like, uh, what are we even talking about with Bubblegum? Dave, do you want to attempt a uh, capsule yeah, summary of this book? Yeah, I would love to. And, I, and I've got a, a little short portion lined up that I'd like to read, and Adam has one too. So we'll kind of, maybe we'll we'll get those shortly here. Um, but essentially, sure. this is a book uh, about a character named Belt Magnet, who's 37 years old, I think, and lives in Wheelatine, Illinois, um, which is mm. a fictional city not far from chicago i think is that right adam <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah, okay. suburb yeah. Yeah, yeah okay um and belt's a fiction writer he wrote a book called no please don't 
uh, years ago and, you know, it kind of became a bit of a, a cult thing, um, but most people haven't heard of it or read it. Um, and the universe that you've created, created here, Adam, which this didn't occur to me until I was, someone mentioned it and I was maybe halfway through the book is that it's an internetless world. Like it's like an alternate reality where the internet was never created. And then I was like, oh yeah, that's true, I guess, right? Because we would have heard things about it or like the way that things are disseminated, you know, would have would have fallen into that. Um, but the, the kind of the, the main story here is about Belt and his little pet. And you've, you've created this amazing uh, little pet called the Curio or the Bottomal, which is like a, um, a mechanical... Uh, very cute like like uh, like we're talking otherworldly you can't you can't even chipmunk. handle like how ch- cute this little like gremlin chip chipmunk thing is and it lives <laughs> in your house and it's got like a little um kind of a shoe boxy type thing that it lives in it's about five inches tall and it mimics you it plays with you um it, it becomes your friend essentially um i think it, it lives on you it can live it on can, you like can it can attach with... itself to your clothing and, and you can walk around with it in your pocket and, and things like that but you it yep. raises some really interesting thematic stuff about um how how much cute is humanity capable of handling <laughs> because people start to do very weird things with these bottomals with these curios like torturing them and and eating them which is called overloading in the book um, because they yeah. just can't handle how cute they are. That they just—it's so fucking cute that I just have to ingest it. You know, it's like kind yeah. of in that movie, um, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie *Punch Drunk Love*, where there's that scene where uh, Adam Sandler and his girlfriend are in bed, and he's like, "I just, you're so cute. I just want to fucking smash your face with a sledgehammer." Like it's that—it's <laughs> like that kind of thing going on, and I yeah. love that. Yeah. Um, and could eat you right up. Yeah. And there's, and meanwhile, there's lots of other characters and things going on with, with Belt, um, you know, trying to get money for cigarettes. And uh, there's a cast of amazing characters like John Boat and Lotta Hogg and Chad Kyle and, and a whole, like, like you talked about Infinite Jest. Triple J, Fonda John, Fonda yeah, Jane Henry. Fonda Jane Henry. Um, and so, yeah. so the novel revolves mainly about him and about the loss, loss of his mother and and things of that nature, and a study that he undergoes when he's about 12, whereby he acquires this bottomal for the first time, and other kids do, and he's being tested about how he interacts with it. Um, so that's kind of the universe. That's kind of the the gist <laughs> of Bubblegum, I would say. And there's a lot of other stuff going on, too. Um, yeah. Is that, a, is that a relatively okay summary atoms that give too much away yeah that was that was impressive man no i think that was that was good you 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 kept you kept the spoilers out okay good deal right on um so adam do you want to do you want to give us a a short reading to give us a sense of the prose the tenor the theme like the sort of the the voice of the of the book absolutely absolutely um so i'm gonna read from a i'll read from a part that's it's pretty early um and this, the situation is that um, just basically Belt, uh, the narrator, needs, um, needs cigarettes. He's, he smokes a lot of cigarettes. Um, he needs cigarettes and he has no money and he's not going to have money for uh, a week. Um, and so he's going to now go try to buy some cigarettes without any money. Um, and, and, and the brand of cigarettes he smokes is Quills. So here goes. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, so uh, here goes. I bought quills by the carton from Pang at White Hen for almost 10 years. 
and for ten years before that, I'd bought them by the pack there. Pang didn't like me. I don't mean he disliked me. To Pang, I was no one, as I am to most people. As most people are to most people, me included. That's how I thought of it. Come to think of it now, though, Pang may have disliked me. After all, it's one thing to be known to a stranger, but I'd engaged Pang in face-to-face commerce at least once a week for nearly two decades, and he'd never said even so much as I'm Pang to me. I didn't even know if he was owner or manager. The badge he wore pinned to his shirt didn't say. Maybe I disliked him. In any case, I figured I'd spent enough of my money in his mart to merit two cartons worth of credit for a week, so I took a walk over there and made my case. Why no credit card, he said. Sometimes, I said, I get those offers in the mail, but I never saw a need. No, he told me. I did not really ask. I don't understand. You're not credit worthy, he said, or else you'd have a credit card. Come back with money, and then I'll sell to you. Pang, I said. I see you all the time. If our positions were switched, I wouldn't even hesitate to give you what I'm asking for. Maybe that is why you are not credit worthy, he said. I nearly had hold of a pretty good rejoinder, having to do with how the quality of our banter was evidence of a familiarity between us sufficient to permit an extension of credit in either direction, pang to me or I to pang, how the curtness of pang's refusal of my credit card was itself reason for pang to grant me credit, how his freewheeling bluntness, if nothing else, argued that he felt no anxiety at all about possibly insulting me by saying the wrong thing, which was another way to say that he was comfortable with me and which probably showed, if he'd only take a moment to look a little more deeply, that he knew in his heart I deserved his trust. But the rejoinder eluded me. I couldn't quite get my mouth around it. Yet something needed saying. I'd stood there too long. I said, Are you the owner? You want to threaten to tell someone I don't give away quills? Go yell it on a mountain. Go find out who cares. Corporate, you think? Call them. Call corporate. Corporate this guy. I think you were banned from the premises now. All I was saying was your badge just says paying. It doesn't say owner or manager on it, and I've always wondered. Oh yeah, Pang said? And what do you think? You sound like an owner, I said. Okay, Pang said, sure, okay. A misunderstanding. Have a double bubble on the house, on me. He pushed a wrapped log of old gum across the counter. You are once again welcome to shop here with money, or become credit worthy and bring MasterCard, Visa, or American Express. No discover. a great last end there <laughs> yeah let me ask could, could you tell us a little bit about choosing the title of this book? um well part of it was uh just like some you know wise ass remnant punk rock thing in me that thought <laughs> um you know bubblegum is like the opposite of what you think of when you think of serious literature um, yeah right you know you think of like bubblegum pop or yep. just chewing bubblegum <laughs> and um and I don't know. And, and I, so I liked that aspect of it. I think bubblegum becomes like, uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a literary scholar. I think it becomes a light motif. Is that the word? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll take it. Is that even how you say that? Is it late, late motif? motif? Yeah, something know. like that. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah. So, so, so there's that. I think bubblegum becomes, yeah, it, 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 it is a metaphor for metaphors, you know, this is going to sound really hoity-toity, you know, highfalutin, but, but it's, it's, <laughs> That's he what we're about it here. a couple times. Um, and, and I think, you know, a lot of the book is, is thinking about, um, is thinking about what the cures might be metaphorical for, uh, in our world. Um, and I think that bubblegum to belt is metaphorical for things in his world, right? Um, Bub- belt obviously can't talk about the internet because it doesn't exist. Um, so, you know, 
Yeah, I actually find that really interesting because I think a lot of the reviews will pick up on that. And like, I want you to to explain a little bit more about that because there's like, it seems like with the curios, like people have replaced their obsession with the internet with their obsession with curios and like, which are a form of mm-hmm. technology. And it's like, they're always going to be obsessed with some kind of technology and it's like you know you just read this thing about uh smoking cigarettes it's like they're also really addicted to just these animals mm. right it's really like a fake animal it's like a fake it's like a fake high right like they're buying yeah, maybe it, right? maybe maybe like, it's fake maybe maybe it's <laughs> fake. i mean it's a little bit fake yeah. but because it's not i mean they the, he was given this thing so mm. as a kid i guess like belt in particular mm. is really bonded with his yeah. uh his curio is called Blank or Kablanky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know which is appropriate, yeah. but his nickname's like I mean he really loves this yeah. this animal mm. and um but but yet do you feel like that that it is a bit of a stand in for you know, even if there wasn't the internet there would be something else that would, people would <laughs> Kinda, be Kinda, Yeah, I I mean I think, you know, I think that like okay, first obviously like there is there is a part of the, Curios are partly riffing on on the internet um, and the way that we use it to sort of you know cruel ends. But I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not a, like a moralizing writer. Like it, it, it's I, I think or maybe I am. I don't I don't think <laughs> I am. And, and 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 I think that it ends up you know I think whether it's the internet or uh, a curio or kind of like any technology we can think of, we're always going to use it to do cruel shit. Um, and I think it ends up, you know, technology is just, the thing that's interesting about technology and literature is how people use it, not the technology itself, at least to me. Right. And maybe maybe that's the difference between um, uh, a book like mine and like a more conventional hard sci-fi kind of book is like, I'm actually more interested in how people interact with the with this, with this curio than I am in the origins or the possibilities of the curio as a being like they're getting the science right or something. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, so, uh, so I think that, you know, the curio, like the internet, cause I'm, I'm, I'm not actually entirely convinced at all that, that the curio isn't an animal. Um, yeah, but that's, that's, uh, that, that's, that's for, that's for the reader to, to deal with. Yeah. That's um, certainly a tension in the book with, that you're like, is this technology, is this living, uh, what are we dealing yeah. with here? And that's something that I thought was palpable throughout yeah. as well. I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. I mean, cause, cause, cause one of the things, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it sort of goes along with that for me, at least, I don't want to interpret my own book too much, <laughs> but, but I, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that, 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 that we do with the internet with, with a sort of cruelty that people can show one another on the internet, um, which I'm not really subject to because I'm not on any social media except for Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. like, but, but it seems to me that, um, people are really able to convince themselves very easily that, um, that whatever they, that, that when they're, when they're by themselves, when they're sort of the, the master of their, their, uh, little screen domain, um, what they do goes and they are righteous and they are correct and they mm-hmm. can crush other people and say horrible shit to them and harm them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, uh, if, if, you know, this is, you know, if you, if, if some of the things that get said, um, on Twitter, uh, were to be said 
to a group of live human beings, yeah. like they, they, they just wouldn't be said because yeah. there, there would either be some extreme violence that resulted from it, mm-hmm. or but more likely they wouldn't get said because the speaker would would realize that they would be the subject of extreme violence. Yeah. Um, and uh, but but they can say it on Twitter because they're not going to be the subject of extreme violence, and they might even have people cheer them on because people like to see cruel shit happen. Yeah. And and I think that um, with the curios. The thing that's interesting to me, at least one of the things, is that I do think that if such a thing as a curio existed, people would very quickly decide that they were right to harm them mm-hmm. because they felt like they should harm them and they were given permission they had the right to, yeah. by the corporation that made them because they said these are robots and they're not animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book must sound really weird to anyone. Who <laughs> <knows>. <laughs> well, it kind <laughs> of is, but it's, it's weird in the delightful kind of way. Um, one thing that I thought of about this while I was reading is that thematically, the idea of people overloading on cures, which is like ingesting them, and there's even a part where people make them into a drug called spidge. And there's a very long description of this about a film um, where someone is like taking the spines of these curios and mashing the spines up and making a drug out of them. Um, Mm. It reminds me a lot of what Wallace is talking about in Infinite Jest in terms of like the preoccupation that we have with entertainment and technology and the ways we're addicted to it. And you really take that like even a step further here where the technologies themselves are being taken and ingested as literal drugs of addiction. Mm. Um, so in Infinite Jest, we have the sum is dot, the entertainment, which you will just atrophy and die because you watch it over and over. Uh, the the right. metaphor here in your book of Bubblegum is that people are like mashing up the videotape of Infinite Jest and like ingesting it as a drug. So it's like you, mm. you push it even like a step further beyond what Wallace does. And I found that fascinating. Um, and and like wanted to hear your thoughts more on that, which which I think you just did really well as well. So. I appreciate that. I mean, I think I think the Wallace version has a lot more hope <laughs> in that. Like, I think that you know, there's there's in Wallace, there's justice, right? Um, to to some degree, there's at least the. Uh, the it is bad that people are 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 watching this video, right? We, we're not right. Like, we. You don't say, ah, that's what you get. It's a terror, um, they, they terrorist actually, weapon, know, right? And like people are trying to weaponize it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in and I think in bubblegum, I think one of the things, one of the tensions for me at least was was to not do that. Um, like and because actually nobody in any um, overt material way at least suffers from this stuff. Like because the spidge actually, it's one thing you said that I don't think is correct is it's not actually addictive. Like mm-hmm. no one's no one's uh, losing their job. Because they're addicted to spidge. <laughs> right, no one's, okay, yeah. uh, you know, like these people are committing these sort of atrocities every day yeah. um, and just going on. <laughs> yeah. And like, so, so it's not, um, I, whereas I think in Infinite Jest, there is like this, you're cheering for this sort of community or mm-hmm. these multiple communities really to be all right. Um, and maybe not so much in Bubblegum. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure. It's, yeah, I wrote it, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got my own well, whacked out. There's thoughts. a, you know, there are a lot of like set pieces in this book, though, and the one that you read is sort of, um, you know, with the main narrative of Belt Magnet, who's the main character, but there are a lot of other characters, as we mentioned, and there are a lot of other themes in the book mm-hmm. too that I wanted to ask you about. Sure. One is uh, that 
in this sort of alternate reality. Um, prostitution is 100% legal. Mm-hmm. And like there's also one of the, the key characters is like an intersex character. Yep. And like was your interest there about um, either like imagining a future with prostitution is totally uh, non-prosecuted and uh, you know, a key character being like an intersex character. Well, it sort of, I, I sort of f- kind of fell into both of those. I, I thought, you know, first off, I just, I liked the idea of having, cause she, cause it's not just like, she's a key intersex character. She's like the, um, she's like the great sex symbol of all time. Too. Right. Yeah. And she has, right. she's an extremely right. powerful person and she's, she's a, you know, sort of worshiped critical theorist. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she's this brilliant, beautiful human, um, who's also obscenely wealthy and maybe kind of hideous deep down like everyone else. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, but she, you know, she, she, she acquires this wealth over time, uh, you know, in large part marrying this, this billionaire fellow. Um, but, but she is in her own right, she is a force. And, um, so I thought that was interesting, um, because I just thought it would be hard to do. So I wanted to do it. Um, and I guess, that and in terms of the prostitution being legal, so she um, she plays a kind of a large role in it becoming legal, mm-hmm. um, and and I think uh, to me there's this this hope that when that's being described, a lot of the stuff you know, a lot of the sort of historical stuff for this book, like what what the nine what say the nineteen eighty two to twenty twelve looked like. Are in the, is in the shadow of the book. Like you, you, you can pick it up if you really want to. And so, like the sort of her her rhetorical approach to, um, to, to to the argument that that prostitution should be legal, which which sort of ultimately wins out, is that um, is, is sort of based on curios, right? <laughs> and, and what mm-hmm. um, people are allowed to do to them, mm-hmm. um, and what it means to and and and, and ditto her her presumable stance for, um, you know, transgender rights, like the, there, cause again, not to get into too many spoilers, but there are a lot of things you can do with curios. There are a lot of products one can use, uh, to enhance one's curio, to change one's curio. And anyway, so, so there's part of it's that. And then part of it also is uh, sort of imagining, I, I sometimes think, you know, when we talk about the internet, um, we talk about as this, you know, and I think this is changing now, but it's been long talked about as this sort of great emancipator of people and like it brings together communities and, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is already sort of old hat that, this, that that's sort of bullshit. But I wonder like if the degree to which it's bullshit isn't appreciated. And, and sometimes I think that, mm-hmm. um, issues that, that, that we're having now, like these sort of social issues that I think are usually, um, sort of used by the right to kind of distract people, um, such as these issues around gender, um, I think they might've been resolved a lot easier without an internet. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh-huh. Like, um, we had, for sure, you know, like we, we have, we're in this very strange time where, um, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's still pretty weird. I, I, I shouldn't get, I don't want to get too political, but it's still, it's, it's, it's pretty weird to me that like, uh, it seems like most of the country became aware of transgender people through this rich sort of, you know, not like like this athlete who was really wealthy mm. and like and is really right wing actually <laughs> and like and like that that like like you know Caitlyn Jenner yeah. she's like uh, 
she's not like most of the transgender folks I meet. Uh, they don't they don't have a lot in common with with Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, um, you know, sociopolitically, um, <laughs> socioeconomically, and and it's like she's she became our, the the world's introduction or, or America's introduction to mm-hmm. to these folks. Um, and and again, and even grouping them as these folks, it's 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 weird, man. And and like I just sort of think that uh, with the the internet giving rise to Kardashianism, you know, <laughs> like all these things, like like you just sort of wonder, like what would have happened, like there, like it, it, without it, um, if things went a little slower and a little saner, then it it wouldn't just be the first you know rich reality star um, who right. who popularized something. It would, it would have things would have come about in a more Sort of like humans are a lot slower than the internet. Kind of what, like yeah. would have come about a little more smoothly. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's an, that's a fascinating. Yeah. Well, point, and yeah. and there aren't a lot of you know literary characters like that, right? That are not just transgender, but like ambiguously gendered or yeah, sexed. Well, yeah, well, she's not trans. And I mean, she's she's intersex. Yeah, yeah. she's intersex, yeah. right? But yeah. like also just. You know, being a successful, I don't know, scholar, billionaire's wife, all of that, all of that stuff. I mean, I bonded a little bit with that character because oh, yeah. I felt like she was the same age as age as me. And uh, it said her parents was, was from Austin, Texas. And yeah. I was like, sold. I'm going to highlight that fucking <laughs> note right there. Um, Matt really but, likes Austin. You know, going back to the like, I really did like, the, I mean, I, I like you should say, hello, Detroit. I'm like, <laughs> but. <laughs> That's what I was aiming for, Anytime. man. The, the Texas, yeah. the Texas market, man. Put in, <laughs> put in anything uh, like, uh, you know, she was from San Antonio. Secondarily, no, no, no. But the other like set pieces that are in the book, I mean, that's that's a big part of the book. Um, and again, I'm I'm not trying to like jump around too much, but that's going cool. back to Belt, yeah. you know, there's a big part of his narrative that is about just fucking murdering swimsuits. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I almost and mentioned like, that in my synopsis. And like, that's but a, I thought I'd leave that for you, Matt, because I know you lo- you love that stuff. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I love the, the just like absolutely destroying swing sets. Yeah. And, um, you know, my question here is really like a pretty, pretty broad one um, because it really gets to like something that I would have done when I was an adolescent and uh you know maybe even a child oh, yeah. right we actually had an old swede swing set when i was like eight yeah and i wanted to fucking destroy this was it. around yeah. the time of like beavis and butthead where everything was like smash it destroy it like destruction of public property was so cool among my friends when we were in like eighth I grade got, like, you know like, five years on dave so i'm a little yeah, older slightly, than i was but... like a little a little older but I, I, let's even go back and just say like what in general I mean, maybe this is too personal, Adam, but like, what, what was your childhood like, man? What is your interest in the minds of the adolescents now? Oh, yeah, I have a, now, I have a big question about this coming adolescent up, Adolescent <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know. You know, with the, instru- with the instructions, it's very different from, from this in that, like, uh, in the instructions, I was, I was you know, the, the, he, he's really, like, Gorian is, you know, he's very, he's 10, and like he does, he doesn't think like you know a regular. No, kind of, not you know, at all. His friends, but 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 I think part of that was just the sort of you have this institutional setting, and mm-hmm. you have I think that with children, um, I don't want to like repeat myself. I think I've said something like this before, but but I, but I wanted I, I like violence in in art. In there, <laughs> that is apparent, and, Adam. And, yeah. And, 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 uh, 
<laughs> I know. I mean, I, yeah, I, I do. I just I enjoy reading it. It's, yeah. it's an aesthetic pleasure. I don't I don't you know want to commit violence in life. Um, uh-huh. But in narrative, it's it's exciting. It's dramatic and absolutely. Um, and I think that with the instructions, having you know little kids doing violence is um, it, the 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 excitement there for me as a writer is that like really like a little kid, a ten year old boy. I mean, if he hits you as hard as he could it really wouldn't do much, you know? And it's like, (laughs) it's like, and so like when they're doing it to each other, there really is like, there's, it's, it's more psychologically. I got in a lot of fights when I was a kid and it was like, no one, like they were, they feel, they felt epic as hell. Yeah. Like no one like really got that hurt. And and it's cause like, you just can't do much, that much damage unless, you know, someone falls off like a building or something. Or you have a penny gun or something. You know, and you know, all those rooftop fist fights, you know, that little 10 year olds have, you know, like it's, it's not gonna, it's not going to ever get too dire until, you know, in the instructions it sort of does, um, but, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, by, by, by weapons, yeah. but, but, um, I was reading your rumpus it, it, interview from, uh, 10 years yeah. ago from that group read and, and Christy said, I felt like the entire novel was one big crescendo. Every page I turned, the story got a little louder. I could barely hear by the end. And, and it reminds me of like a Godspeed, you black emperor song that book (laughs) 20 to 30 minutes of slow build and it just like keeps getting heavier and eventually it's just absolute carnage um this book bubblegum is not i would not put it in the same kind of uh trajectory as that no (laughs) no 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 very deliberately deliberately. i mean one one of the one of the appeals for with belt for me was like that you know i had i had spent you know 10 years with the instructions writing this extremely active narrator right like the least possibly passive human being that can exist (laughs) like he's just everything happens because of him right like constantly like and with belt i i thought you know i want to see if i can do something with a with a more pass with a more passive narrator which is not to say he is i mean i guess he is rather rather passive in a way yeah but, but um, but but he's he's more like uh, like a reader, mm-hmm. <laughs> you totally. know. Like he's more like the the average. He's more like me. He lives a slow um, life. He like smokes his cigarettes. You know, like yeah, goes for walks. Yeah, he's not trying to right the wrongs of the world either. He's he's you know he's he doesn't really seek justice. He's like you know trying to mm-hmm. you know just have an okay life, I guess. Yeah. And and also I, I I mean I find it like not to underplay Belt. I mean I feel like Belt has a pretty peculiar life. Um, sure. but he's not, um, he's not going out and bashing skulls, you know, <laughs> at least not often. Yeah. And, and, um, and he doesn't have a Messiah bashing swing sets. either. <laughs> yeah, no, he doesn't. Like he Gary doesn't. Him. Not at all. No, and he's pretty humble. Yeah. Um, without being sort of, I hope without being too cloying, like, cause I think he thinks pretty highly of his work. Yes. Um, but yeah, he's not, he's not, uh, yeah, he's not trying to, you know, he knows, he knows, he knows his weaknesses. Um, and, and I think, and it's, but as far as like going back to what you were asking earlier, Matt, with the, the, you know, regarding the, the swing set destruction, I mean, I just, I guess, you know, what was interesting to me about that without giving too much away of the book is that, you know, there's this sort of community's reception of that, like the children versus the adults, the way they, the way they take that. (laughs) And then there's, and no one gets what he's doing. Um, cause what he's doing, like the, his motives for, for attacking these swing sets is, uh, they're very different. No, Matt's question is great about teenagers because I, it occurred to me kind of recently actually that like most of the novels that I really love 
I've I've put mm-hmm. together that they either are from the perspectives of teenagers or largely revolve around teenagers. So I've mm-hmm. said lots on the show that like the instructions is like my favorite novel up along with Infinite Jest. And then oh okay that you know there's largely a lot of teens in both novels. Um mm-hmm. And the sense of slang that you develop in both of your books and like very Mm. unique vocabulary and diction is Mm. one of my favorite things about your writing. And, you know, Wallace is good at this too. He creates this like this universe of slang that you've never heard anywhere else. And so um, here are a few examples from Bubblegum. Why the long face, fuck ass. Shut your pie hole, cake face. Pissing through a boner. Um, and then in the instructions, you've got insults like Banser, Schmendrick, Dentist, things like Brick, Snat, and Trickle. Um, your use of names is very, very funny. I read some earlier. Um, you know, like, where do you summon all of this stuff from? It's just, like, one of the most fascinating things about your writing for me. And the fact that teenagers and kids are using it is, like, adds so much humor and value to it as well. I appreciate that. I mean, I mean, I, I, I like. I don't know, man. Like, I, I honestly like. I write. <laughs> do you t- line do you use these? So, do you so, use these terms in your everyday vernacular? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No, I mean, but but you know, we do like, especially you know, now I've been married for seven over seven years, and like my wife and I, we we say some really weird shit to each other mm-hmm. that no one would understand, and I'm sure you know you guys mm-hmm. you two are married, you probably do the same thing. Like, I just think, and with my you know my groups of friends, there's just there's these sort of codes that arise, yeah. Um, and you know, and, and I think it's it's it, it feels socially. Um, correct it shows that it gives a sense of reality when when characters do that so i think that's one of the appeals to it but as for like getting the ones that i end up choosing i think i usually i i try to you know it it first of all has to do with what i think is going to sound kind of funny yeah um because i'm i'm basically usually trying to make a joke yeah and then like on top of it like there's sometimes when I think about like the etymology, like in, in bubblegum, like without getting into it here, like, you know, dacked, um, like this took me like a while. And then I was like, dacked is perfect, but that was replaced like 19 times. I (laughs) I had to do like a find replace, like throughout the years of writing the books. I was like, no. And I finally landed on dacked. I was like, dacked is the one. Oh, and like, that's cool. And I was just like, okay, like, you know, so this stuff, and and I felt like that felt really organic to me, like where I was like, yeah, this is, they, they would use this to mean, what DACT means. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reader will be able to sort of track that um, because that is what would happen. Like that seemed true to me. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So hmm. I think that's, you know. I, I got to the point, I think it's page 269. And I flagged Dave where I wrote, Adam is a profanity enthusiast. I am a profanity <laughs> enthusiast. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just takes pleasure in inventing new profanities. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> deeply impressed with and it's like probably like a 13 year old boy i have a, a, a my my oldest son will be 13 next month mm. he will probably celebrate in quarantine oh, no. um, too bad. In, in his private cell <laughs> but uh i can tell you that the amount of um 13 year old boy profanity is like spot on <laughs> uh, yeah yeah and i i, I anyone who's listening to this later um, I would say go to page about 269 and there's a great uh, exchange there with all kinds of cursing <laughs> with a little kid 
I'm looking I think at it's you. A I'm going to 269. I want to know what Bertrand. Yeah, me too. It, oh, it's Bertrand. Really yeah, yeah. Suspender. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey likey, Mikey likey meets suspender. And, yeah. Um, that's really Why is that scene. ass, Captain? Uh, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, anal rectum. I mean, it's good. It's good. Oh, thanks, yeah. Thanks. Um, the bottom of 268 yeah. well, is some of the foulest stuff I've ever seen yet. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I was like, it's just just a straight up uh, the way that you know in the the christmas story movie it was like some f- parents would work in paints and oils and my father worked in profanity <laughs> it's like uh i feel like one of adam's mediums is like profanity uh-huh. yeah, it's really good really good yeah um, i like swearing but one of the other like uh set pieces i mean there's a, so many like set pieces we have not like talked about or parts of this book that that fit together um and I, you know, part of it for me, I have a question for you about uh, films. Like a lot of it just seems very cinematic, mm-hmm. and there's some in here that's really directly about making like uh, a film. Yeah. And I, w- I wanted to talk to you about like your interest in in film and like how you see when you're writing. You know, how are you visualizing as you write? Mm. I. <laughs> that's a hard one. Like I, I'm really, I think about sound more than anything. And I think that when I got to the, there's a section, I think we could say without being a spoiler, the, 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 there's a section where a movie is described. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's pretty long. And, and, you know, in, in the instructions, there's this, the, the, the sort of big crescendoing violence, um, scene, this sort of war, um, that's, uh, those two things are a bit similar in that like they are these they're sort of set off in this way that actually like in in Infinite Jest Ashitan or like in um, uh, the way how I think of it or or in Endzone the the football game Mm -hmm. are set off uh, where it's just that I I feel when I'm reading like I'm like I need a pace I need the pace to switch and I need to there's things I want to tell I want to tell them rapidly right now and like, uh, not as a writer, but as a reader, um, and as a writer too, but, but, um, but mostly as a reader, I think, you know, something I need to, I need, I need to push the reader through a different, through a different place. And so with the f- describing the films was, um, describing that film was, uh, was a way to do that. Um, and it was, it, it the film accomplishes a lot of stuff in terms of, I think, backstory, yes, you know, like totally. the history of this world. Yeah. Um, but, but I wanted to. Um, I, I, I mostly wanted to sort of switch gears and then the idea of doing this film, that, that whole sort of third book in, in the novel, uh, is, is about kind of switching gears. Um, and we get away from belt a bit, um, and we get more into this other character, triple J and, um, I don't know, and sort of seeing the world from a sort of higher up place than, than this, you know, right in, inside the back of Belt's eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that, that that's what was, was kind of interesting to me about that. And also the notion that the filmmaker, this, this kid, Triple J, um, that, that we got to think about a kid who would make this movie. Uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, so, so that was, that was, that was kind of the way I wanted to, that, that I think, I'm not sure if that answers your question. I'm bad at it. No, yeah. Totally, it does. Like the like the device of it is that that it can convey a lot of information in a short amount of space that that fills yeah. in a lot of gaps yeah. about this universe that you've created. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. maybe a good seg to uh, to the portion that I wanted to read actually, um, as we're cool. talking about things like slang and uh, the way that you create 
kind of a, a verbal linguistic universe that's very unique in your writing. Um, so this is from page 10. I picked, tried to pick an early one so we could avoid, you know, spoilers. <laughs> um, and okay. so this is Belt and his dad listening to the radio. On the drive home, my dad turned to 88.1 Community Radio to hear the local sports show. An interviewer said, We're live in the dugout with Johnny Johnboat Pelmore Jason and his Washington Mustangs, who Johnboat just led to a 10 to nada no-hitter victory over the mighty Twin Grove Eagles. Now, Johnboat, I'm serious here. What gives? In fall, you're triple-doubling center one day, and next year, golden arm quarterback slash blitz-a-quarter nose tackle. That's confusing enough. Now it's spring and you're telling me you've pitched a no-hitter and gotten on base at your every at-bat? How do you do it? Is there anything can stop you? I don't know, John Boat said. I really don't know. I guess I try to keep my head down and do the necessary work. This is sports. It's for real. It matters to people. I think others could do the same things I do. Other teams could do the same things we do. The physical machinery, it's there to be honed, to be made useful. I really believe that. I mean, you saw the Eagles. It's not that they're shrimpy. They've got legs, arms, and eyes, brains in their heads. They've got the same equipment we Mustangs have. It's just that they're not willing to put in the work. They're, I don't know, I guess, how can I put it? They're pissing through a boner. Come again, John Boat, the interviewer said. I didn't quite get that. Well, you know what I mean. They're pissing through a boner. They're pissing through a boner, and that's not why they have one. They're pissing through a boner, and that's not why they have one. Aphoristic wisdom from our own Johnny John Boat Skyon of the Pelmores and Jason's the both kids these days. So tell me, John Boat, rumor has it Papa John John's about to buy. I shut off the radio. Hey, said my father. He stole that from me, pissing through a boner. I invented that. It's mine. Relax, said my father. Stop with the crying. Stop kicking the glove box. Stop kicking the glove box. He stole my line. I made it up myself. I was sad when I thought of it. It meant something specific, and he changed the meaning so that now it's too broad. And then he added a clause to explain it all to dummies. And that's not why they have one. No kidding, huh? Boners aren't meant for pissing through, dude. I had no idea. I really didn't. Thanks for the clarification, John Boat. He ruined it completely. First he stole it, then he destroyed it. Billy, listen, said my father. That's not my fucking name. So when I was reading this scene, Adam, I was in bed and I was like crying, laughing. And my wife, Rachel, was looking like side eyeing me like, what the hell is going on over there? <laughs> Just imagining this kid, this like 12 year old or you know, teenager giving this interview at, and saying that to like live on air. Um, I just, it was one of the funniest moments in the, in the book for me. <laughs> and then there's like a really like visceral yeah. human response from the main character belt about, you know, how this phrase got cribbed from him, uh, and co-opted into something that it, it wasn't supposed to mean. Um, so hopefully that gives, uh, you know, our listeners a sense of your prose and a sense of, uh, just this mind that you have for creating, um, really hilarious off the wall, but also poignant um, fiction and I think that's one reason that myself and Matt and a lot of other um, people who like Wallace reson his work resonates with us because like you said Infinite Dust is so funny but also so human and he weaves us those things in a way that makes for some of the most compelling fiction on the planet 
Appreciate that, man. It's, it's not just funny. I mean, the the one of the funniest parts uh, to me that I had flagged, or one of the best parts I had flagged, was uh, later in the book. John Boat tells a little story about Chuck Yeager and yeah. uh, King, King Hussein, and uh, I, I really recommend anyone um, once you get to that point, like feel free to email me <laughs> cry. It's like, it's like late in the five, 600 pages, but it's really fucking awesome part of the book. But I think, you know, one thing that, that makes your book great too, is that it's, uh, it's not just funny and interesting, interesting premise at that. It has this kind of emotional center and that is, you know, a lot of belts relationships, mm-hmm. especially with his, the story about his mother, yeah. And, you know, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, how you saw Belt. Uh, a lot of it is with his father, but then go back and tell us what, what was the thought process of getting with his mother. Well, with his mother, I mean, at first it was just, I, you know, it, it, like I said, I write really line to line. And, and so I thought, you know, okay, something's got a, the, the, this line really early demanded that something happened to change things. And I thought, ah, his mother died, right? And then I, I thought, I never want to be slight about anything, right? Um, and right. and so so I think this sort of grew. I was like, okay, so he doesn't have a mother. So for a while, he just doesn't have a mother um, because she died when he was young. And um, and then I, I thought, you know, who you know who's this mother? And, and the the you know the, the the structure of the novel is this first part is set present day. The second part is set when he's a boy. And then the third part is this weird thing I was talking about before, this sort of offset part. Then we go back to the present day in the fourth mm-hmm. and the fifth book. And in that second book, um, I, I was just like his, you know, his mom, uh, I think sort of accounts, because when you see Belt's father, Belt's father is sort of in, at least on the surface, extremely different from him. Um, yeah. And you, you wonder like how this kid kind of, who, who we find out what he kind of went through as a kid separate from his mother's death like how this kid could have really survived such a childhood um, and come out in any kind of, you know, uh, shape where he'd be communicating via a fictional memoir, <laughs> you know? And I, and I think that I started thinking about, you know, who, who's his mom? How, how would she take him through this? And, and I think I kind of, I think his mom to me is the, you know, in terms of like, <clears throat> like the characters in the, in the book, they all have these, basically his mom, is ideal, (laughs) um, to, to me, like for him, Mm -hmm. he, she is, I think probably the best, um, mom he could have had. Um, and, and I think that when I realized I liked her and that I wasn't going to be really ironic about her because belt wouldn't be, you know, cause I'm, you know, I'm putting on the belt helmet when I'm writing, like I'm like belts, (laughs) belts, not like comfortable joking about how his mom died when he was a kid. Like this fucked him up. Yeah. And, um, and I thought, so, okay, so like, how do I make this not sappy and like make her, you know, kind of this good person who's really, you know, hopefully interesting, um, to read about. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that was the solving that problem was the getting to whose belt belt's mom was. And I think for me, it was, it was very emotional to, for me to write. I mean, not for any, you know, autobiographical reasons. I mean, I'm, I love my mom. She's great, but you know, it's like, but it it wasn't my mom. (laughs) Um, my mom's alive. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I think I just, 
but but emotionally i also i think what's interesting there is the um the the role of the pets and the bottomals Mm -hmm. and that belt really bonds with his specific bottomal his cure is his like companion especially around the time that his mother dies right um and it's sort of like the way i guess emotional support animals exist now Mm -hmm. but they're kind of like widely mocked like you know what i mean like as if a guy gets on a plane with like an emotional support peacock or a a horse it's like a joke like the word snowflake is usually gonna follow in that sentence to some point at some point and it sort of starts out like that in the book the snowflake Mm -hmm. it starts out like that in the book but it's not it's much more serious than that later on when the average person has them and yeah. you know, I guess you. I wanted to ask if there, if you were coming at it from that angle, or it was more just like how people treat pets in general, well, r- I, rather than like emotional support. Yeah, I mean, I I would say you know both. I think I think people are generally pretty kind to their pets. It, how, how how people? I mean, I think people in, in the states, especially, and this is like a thing, they're kinder to their pets than they are to their kids. Um, but. I think, you know, I did certainly think a lot about emotional support animals um, and, and not really that sort of because because I do think a lot of that is sort of bullshit. I know I know people who, you know, they get some you know certificates so they can take their dog to the restaurant and it's it's bullshit. But there are but but that came from something that is actually that is very real um, where there, there are people like there, you know, first of all, you, you have the, the the dogs for epileptic people. I mean, you know about those. Like Not they can signal if you're about to have an attack, right? Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. So like yeah. you, you can be dry. You take it in your car. It like lets people who have epilepsy drive because oh, the dog wow. will start freaking out if you're about a minute away from having a seizure, and so you can pull over. And wow. it's like like so animals are and, and there are. I read about um, there was a guy who had I think it was a macaw who was schizophrenic, mm-hmm. and like the macaw would just like. You know, and I have a bird, so it's especially you know <laughs> to me touching. But but it's like this guy would start to have a, you know a sort of a psychotic episode, and the bird he didn't like talk him down the way a shrink would. He would just be like, "Buddy, it's okay," or say whatever whatever line it was. And like this guy knew he's an intelligent human being. He just has this disease. Um, this guy would know that he was in the midst of a psychotic episode rather than a non psychotic episode. And and it would it would allow him to experience the this this episode with a you know larger grain of salt, um, so so I think that you know that this this interaction between humans and animals is, is fascinating to me, um, you know it's it's really weird like with with this parrot that I have I mean which I think has a lot to do with how I thought about blank um, throughout the book um, through about Bell's Curio like. I had this, like, I grew up not giving a shit about animals and really sort of thinking everyone anthropomorphized them and, and that they were these, you know, sort of unhygienic, smelly pieces of furniture that, that just were in my way. <laughs> I didn't like them much, you know? And, like, I would see a cute animal and be like, yeah, it's a cute animal. This is stupid. Like, this is rotting my mind to look at this animal. Um, I was really, you know, I was not, I'm not a nice person. <laughs> but, uh, but then, like, <laughs> you know... One day, though, I went. I went to this. Uh, I went to this party with this this ex of mine. We were and 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 it was a shitty party. It was really lame, and it was Chicago, and it was winter, and so we we just wanted to dive out of there. But we had to go get our coats. And the hostess, she caught us leaving, right? Mm-hmm. And like this party sucked. We really wanted to go, and she said, you know, you have to come meet Buddy, right? 
And I was like, me, buddy. Like, you know, and like we had to, like it was the hostess. Like, you know, she <laughs> caught us. And so we go, we go into, we go into her bedroom and she has this like parakeet man, like this tiny white parakeet. And she's like, that's buddy. And I'm like, great. Who gives a shit about buddy? And she, she, she opens the door to the cage and this bird, it flies out like onto my shoulder. Okay. And it was like, it was a totally bizarre moment. This bird is like on my shoulder. It flew to my shoulder. And like for the first time, seriously, cause I'm a moron. I was, I was, I was, you know, 30, like not older than that. I think it was like 30, 31, 32. Like for the first time I was like, this thing has made a choice. Like it was a really weird thing. It was, it was like, I was like, this bird wants to be on my shoulder. So it went to my shoulder and like, and this was, this was like revelatory to me which I think any, you know, decent hearted four-year-old, they, they see this in animals, but I never had. And, um, and so, so I became interested in, in animals suddenly, or at least in birds. And I went home and I, and I, I, for I think three months, I watched bird videos online instead of writing. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And I was trying to finish the instructions and like, it was killing me. I was really down to like, I used to, I was writing at that time I'd written, you know, wake up really early, man. I was adjuncting everywhere and I would be writing like, you know, seven hours a day anyway. And then it was suddenly down to 45 minutes. Right. <laughs> and, and for three months it was like that, you know? And, and then I was like, fuck man, I have to like, I have to get a bird. Like, and I got the bird and I can hang out with the bird whenever. And I don't have to like go searching for photos of the bird that are going to like make me get all ooky inside. Cause I could just like look up and there he is. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, and then I finished the book. <laughs> but, like, but, I, but, but the point is I was able to write again so so yeah so anyway that was a really long story tell us what now. the bird can say what can the bird say he doesn't say a lot because I, I felt I felt like it was it was sort of I, I, I taught him to say hi I taught him to say his name I taught you know I incidentally taught him to say good birdie and you know he says step up but like I started <laughs> feeling like I was I was it was dehumanizing to him to train him oh, yeah. in that way and so it was like, cause he just picks up stuff on his own. So like if I'm hanging out with him, like, you know, for a while, like I would write with him on my shoulder, which is really a cheesy image. That I don't want anyone to keep too long in their head, but like, you know, I, like I, I very pirate ask. <laughs> it's a little, it, it, but, but I would, you know, I, I, for, for rhythm or whatever, I read stuff out loud that I'm writing to myself and like sort of under my breath. And so he started like whispering. Like, so he now whispers. If you make whispering <laughs> sounds out of him, he whispers. He does really weird shit. He may, he, what he chooses to mimic is, like, completely his. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, and it's just, it's random. But he has very few words. He's got, like, four words. You know? oh, yeah. Was this kind of, They're, like, the impetus for um, the parrot who belongs to the character Sally the Balls in Bubblegum? Absolutely. swearing absolutely. parrot? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because I've seen, I've seen a swearing parrot. I saw some of the bird videos I saw were swearing parrots. And I was, I, it actually offended me. And as you said, like, oh, I love did. profanity. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's gross when a bird does it. <laughs> seems so up your alley that a bird would swear you know <laughs> yeah no it's it seems it, to me it's like it's weird because it's so uncool because they don't know what they're saying like the whole thing that you get with them is like like i think i think you know i think birds are brilliant i mean everyone's seen the videos of crows and whatever it's mm -hmm. turning into a show about fucking birds but like um <laughs> this is uh jonathan franzen's um ornithography podcast mm -hmm. you know we're gonna yeah. uh, ornithology. ornithology we're gonna edit all this <laughs> no but but i mean i think they're i think they're brilliant um, in a lot of ways and, and, um, but they don't use language the way we do, we do. And, and so, you know, 
it's really upsetting for me to think that like a parrot <laughs> is cursing and what he's trying to say is like come hang out with me all oh, right and he's like saying you know yeah. like fuck shit ass you know like that that's like mm, that's humiliating yeah. for the it's parrot. really about intense, <laughs> somehow. Right. yeah yeah amazing yeah. This whole cuteness thing reminds me of how, like, before I became a parent, I would be so annoyed when people would post, like, a thousand photos of their new kid on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. And then I became a parent, and I just did that exact thing because there's something (laughs) about newborns that is just fascinatingly adorable. Um, Right. And birds, animals fall into this. But the opposite of that is sort of one other thing we have not talked about, which is, you know, the inanimate objects that Belt can communicate with. Mm, so right, right. You, can communi- you can communicate with a bird even, like you say, through nonverbal cues, sure. through, uh, you know, you could be blind and communicate with any animal, I think. But inanimate objects. Um, nice segment. You know, I, good. Yeah, I like that. I, I don't think... <laughs> Wait Sorry, it but it's around. on my list. It's on my <laughs> list of questions. Uh, and I think that it's pronounced inans, right? Inans, inans yeah, yeah. Can, inan, it's a short for inanimate objects that he can... Um, Telepathically. I don't know, listen, listen to, to here. And they, they really fuck with him. And he's. I should also put in a disclaimer here that Belt is like diagnosed psychotic. Mm-hmm. So it's like yes. he can hear inanimate objects the same way that like... Maybe some people could hear ghosts or maybe some people could hear any voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to ask you about that of like, how seriously do we take a psychotic narrator telling us to to say that he can talk to inanimate objects? Right. That's the question. Right. And so so one of the things that I wanted to do was sort of let me see if I can explain this right. Like as the book went on, I kind of wanted to triangulate this thing between the reader belt and the world belt lives in. Um, where it would be that, so, so the reader goes, okay, this guy thinks he talks to inanimate objects. He's, he's, he's psychotic because belt almost will admit that that's what's going on. Right. But, mm-hmm. but not quite. And then at the same time, I kind of wanted the reader to feel like the curios were living things. Right. So like, but the world belts living in the reader is allied with that world and that the world thinks belt psychotic for thinking that he speaks with inanimate objects. Um, the world also thinks, though, that Belt is psychotic for any thoughts he might express about curios being, you know, animals. Um, and then the reader is in this place where he's split between the two. That was the hope, is that he's going, well, you know, maybe this, the reader's saying, well, you know, Belt seems correct about the about these curios. They, they're convincingly animals, or they might be. Um, where, but the world is also, the world in the novel is right in saying Belt is psychotic for believing that he speaks to inanimate objects. So where that puts the reader is this sort of, like I said, triangulation. I don't know if that's the right word, mm-hmm. but, um, but I, but I want, I wanted that to be kind of attention, um, in the book. Um, because I think that, you know, also what the objects say, even as a reader, if, if you're going, um, whether you're believing that Belt is really talking to inanimate objects or not, what the, the, the content of what they're saying to him if you believe that it's not coming from the objects, you believe it's coming from Belt. And you say, well, so what does that say about Belt? What does that say about the way Belt views the world, the way he views objects, animals, etc.? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And, I, you know, I think readers who haven't read the book yet, they're going to be very um, interested in that that part of 
built sort of inner life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that kind of goes back with what Dave was saying. I, I do want to just point out we've been like well past the point where I normally say, like, do you have any final questions? And <laughs> oh, okay. I, just don't, I just don't even want to like, I don't even want to bring up the fact that like time exists. <laughs> It's because all that bird shit I said was so fascinating. You were like, no, no, like, this look, guy was no, just talking real, about birds I'm, forever. Adam, I'm a fucking bird person. Okay, I he am is. not. It's true. Uh, often with like literary stuff, it comes up with like, oh, you like Jonathan Franzen's descriptions of birds? Like, no, but I really do. I, I'm super interested in in birds. Period. Uh, but like exactly what you're saying earlier about crows being smart. I think after humans, like it's crows. And you know, there's an argument yeah. of like, there's an African gray parrot named Alex that apparently yep. remembers like up to like 40, 50 different human emotions and faces and can mm. do all mm. kinds of problem logic games yeah. and stuff yeah. and make tools and shit. And so like, yes, I think it's worth talking about like uh, what, uh, what level do humans exist on the same plane as, um, you know, animals that might outlive us at the current moment that we're, mm. well, yeah. that we're, yeah. uh, that yeah. we're in. Yeah. Um, but actually one of the last questions before, like I fucking forget. Cause like I had so many questions reading this book. Um, but really like one of my final questions for you is really about, um, just being a writer mm. and, you know, we mentioned at the top of the show that you just recently, like this fucking month had a short story in the New Yorker, yeah, which is like, the American pantheon of publishing short stories, man. There's like, that's it. There's nowhere like higher. You're going to go to get like, that's like the Olympic gold medal of publishing a short story. And they only do like 40 a year. And like, you know, your teachers have a couple of in there, like George yeah. Saunders. Is gonna have it's so like, you have them in there. And I mean, this is a question like, you yeah. know, we can't interview, uh, david foster wallace anymore hmm. we've talked to uh, some other successful writers we've t- i've you know deborah treisman has come to some wallace stuff in the past yeah. but like talking about it from your point of the end like a lot of writers will say like well it's not really about that or like you know i can't be focused on that and it's like well i guess i'm asking you like well then how much does that type of shit matter to you and how much does it not and if not like then what is it what is it that matters like what is the what is the thing that you care about well i would say i mean look the new yorker thing was like this phenomenal thing it was one of the great things that happened to me um i was very happy i'm still happy that story was in there i'm still a little buzzed off of it you know (laughs) um and it was like it's great to work with them but um, at the same time, I mean, I think you guys know, like I'm, I'm married to someone who's published four stories in the New Yorker mm-hmm. and they were the first four short stories she ever wrote and she's <laughs> writing them in her second language after she's been right. a published fiction writer in her first language, which is French. So it's like, so it's sort of like, it was like, well, thank God, you know, <laughs> Finally uh, up but, you're just catching up, man. I mean, you're not even, up. not even close, but it, but I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm still in the game or whatever. No, I, I mean like. It's, uh, it's no, no, but it was, it was huge for me. It was, it was, it was a really, it was a really big deal. And and like the editing process was actually really exciting. Um, and I loved it. And of course, of course I wanted a short, short story in the New Yorker. I want people to read my work. Mm -hmm. And if someone's going to read a short story, the odds are highest that they're going to read it in the New Yorker, right? Like just period. Um, that's the huge audience. 
Um, yeah. And so, so that was great. And obviously like, you know, most of the writers that, that I have loved throughout my life have been published in the New Yorker. Quite a few haven't, however. And so it's like, so to say it's, it's not about, it's definitely not about getting a story in the New Yorker. It's thrilling to get a story in the New Yorker. I would love it if it happened again. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, what writing is about for me is, um, First off, it's a thing that I have just done every day since I was 17 religiously. And it's like as close to a religion as I have is writing fiction. Like that's all I've ever written um, apart from one moment where I wrote nonfiction for Playboy. Excuse me. And that was to that was <laughs> ulteriorly motivated so that I could chase my wife. Um, and uh, like so, so I don't know, man. Fiction is... Um, it, I'm, I feel crazy when I'm not reading something that I enjoy and I feel crazy when I'm not writing something that um, I think could become worth reading. And I, and it's been so long at this point, it's more than half my life by a, by a pretty big long shot that, that I've just written every day and read every day that I, it's hard for me to say what it's, what it's about, right? Um, but it's like, it's, it's sort of the point of everything for me. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's, that's. If there's a point to no, anything, that's, I feel like there's a moment no, in I mean, Bubblegum where um, we have someone talking about art and empathy, and I, mm. I wondered if that kind of project and Wallace, you know, a lot of Wallace scholars have talked about mm. Wallace and empathy, and the 1993 Larry McCaffrey interview that Wallace did, you know, empathy mm. is kind of his big thing about what fiction's about, right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> do you feel like that's that's part of your project as well. Like your character here in 574 says, an empathy, man, that's the big one. Empathy in art, I mean. It's how you know you see the artist's truth through his eyes by feeling it, right? Empathy, I'm saying. If you're going to inspire with a work of art, that's the first thing you need to make happen. Empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I was kind of mocking that idea, really. <laughs> like, no, I mean, I really was like, not because I think empathy is not useful in art, but like, uh-huh, I think uh-huh. art is art. Like, 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 I guess what I'm trying to say, this is, this is my whole thing is like, I'm really just as far from a, from a scholar of, of art or literature as one can be. Like, I just, hmm. I like love to read and I always have and love to read fiction particularly. Yeah. And, um, I think that I cannot give an honest account of what makes all fiction great. Right. There's there's outliers for everything. And sometimes the outliers are the best. Yeah. And so Wallace certainly creates a lot of empathy with his characters. Um, and George Saunders does. And I mm-hmm. and and Salinger does. And I love all of those writers. My wife does. I, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I think that some of my characters, I, I create some empathy with them. But, but that's certainly not like the goal. Like if there's a goal then I want to undermine it at any point in my work. <laughs> like the really like, like the second that I have an idea, mm-hmm. I try to destroy it. Hmm. Like I don't, I, I don't know what that impulse really is, but like, but an example of a writer where there's not a lot of empathy who, who, who I adore, who I imagine you guys do too, is DeLillo. Oh, yeah. Like you don't, you don't like, I mean, white noise is like one of my favorite novels yeah. and, but I'm, it's not because oh, I so feel for Jack Gladney. Like it's just because it's fucking magic because it's yeah. art. It, yeah. It's doing it's doing a thing, and, and I know this. You you guys are more scholarly, and you probably actually have like a legit good explanation for what would make white noise great. But to me, I'm just like I I'm blown away by this. I couldn't have done this. Like no matter how many times I read it, I don't know how he decided to make the moves he make. Yeah. He made. I can totally. see the moves he makes. 
and I can say these work and I can't really say why. Mm -hmm. Um, the same would go for Kafka. Um, I, I, I don't know. The same would go for, you know, uh, Europeana by Patrika Rednik. Um, I, I just, I think there, there's all this, there's so much cold kind of literature that I love that, um, that as much, even as much as I try, my tendency is to write warm, intimate literature. Mm-hmm. Like I can't say that the point of literature is to be warm and intimate. Right. Um, that's, that's maybe what I have more of a talent for. Um, but it's not the goal. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, with Delillo though, I mean, that's very much like at the sentence level, his work is magic. Mm-hmm. And when you're earlier, we were talking about your interest in, uh, cursing <laughs> and, uh, profanity and like, but that's an evidence or that's like proof of your focus on a word by word construction of a sentence, which becomes part of a paragraph, which becomes part of a page. Mm-hmm. And that's very much part of, I think, DeLillo's method and that you're right. He is not trying to achieve an empathetic character. He is trying to build a temple, mm-hmm. right? He's trying to build a work of art that you can stand back and just run your fingers over and admire like a long time later. Yeah. And I, I definitely get that tradition, um, you know, from, from a lot of what you have done, uh, at the novel level and the short story level. Thanks. So I, I, that, that actually makes a lot of sense to mm-hmm. me. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you, um, putting up with our kind of, my kind of facile question about like, you know, you've been there, Lola. You've published stuff in the New Yorker. You've been published a thousand-page novel. You've got this new book, which is going to be well um, supported by your new new publisher. I don't think you've ever been published by Doubleday before. No, no. Um, so they're going to promote the shit out of this book, and we can't wait to see uh, how it works out. So I am, I'm rooting for you. Thanks, man. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I don't think your question was facile. I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, I, I, I hope my answer wasn't, I, I, I don't, uh, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I, I think it's just a very, uh, simplistic question. A lot of writers get is like, um, you know, what, what are you aiming for? And that's sort of me. Like, how do I judge a book is like, are you aiming at a target and do you hit it cleanly? Or are you aiming at something that I can't even see, you hmm. know? Hmm. Um, and at the sentence level, I definitely get that. I mean, my copy of the the, the book is I got a lot of underlines. And like mm. I say, I I started out with that bit about uh, Chuck Yeager, and that's mm. way deep in the book. But I think that um, the stuff that Dave highlighted earlier on in the book is very um, memorable. I mean, to me, that stuff right off the bat is like. That's the shit you you should read every time you read this book. <laughs> it's like the shut your pie hole cake face and pissing through a boner and like John Boat and Triple J. It's like it's just so imaginative, inventive. Yeah. Like it doesn't really compare with anything else. And I think if anything, what I'm evidencing is like it's hard to talk about a book that like is such its own thing. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a compliment. I, I take that as a compliment. Oh, it is. Thank you. It is. Um, one of my other favorite things about this book is the metafictive qualities of it where you especially late in the novel start to insert yourself adam levin a writer from chicago Mm. giving a reading at shakespeare and co in paris accompanied by your Mm. wife 
Camille Bordas and you write your in-laws into the novel and you say that um, like you, you were inspired by Belt's swing set murders to become a writer. There's all these like <laughs> moments where you insert yourself into the text and whenever a writer does that, they have me. I am just <laughs> in it with them. Like Wallace does this in the pale King in the depressed person. Paul Oster mm-hmm. does this Douglas Copeland, Vonnegut, Mikhail Hollaback, mm-hmm. Coover, like yeah. so many great, metafictive writers postmodern writers do this and it is just the most fun thing for me to see ever happen on a page like i think it's just magic and i light up i'm I'm, I'm glad you i'm glad you dig it man is it like for you is it a way of like immortalizing yourself even further you know like the concept of being published is immortalization when you put yourself into the thing that's being published in that way is that like a second way to secure that i don't know (laughs) <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's really just a symptom of, of having read so much Kurt Vonnegut over and over when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, it's really, like, all the sort of, like, my... I, I think I've probably said this too many times, but, but all the all the kind of impulses that I have to do weird shit on the page, mm-hmm. like, or to do anything metafictive, um, it, that, that stuff is really... The, I, I undermine... I'd say I, I get rid of 90% of that when I'm writing. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, it, it's like that's my, my first go is like I always, I think, was, I was really, and I really think it goes to Vonnegut. Like, there's this this moment in Slaughterhouse-Five. Um, I don't even remember what the line was, but he's, the soldiers, the POWs are like, they're pissing outside, mm-hmm. and someone makes a wisecrack, and Vonnegut just goes, Through boners. that was me. <laughs> no, 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 but, 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 but Vonnegut, who's like, who hasn't appeared since the introduction to the book says, that was me. I'm the one who said that. Oh, yeah, and right. that's it. And then, and then in Breakfast of Champions, he's, he's very much, um, in there. Right. Um, yeah. and I think when I was, when I was a kid, when I was reading that stuff, cause like Slaughterhouse Five, I read religiously. Like I remember in sixth and seventh grade, I think I read that book 11 times and wow. I was, I was addicted to it and, and, um, I just think that stuff that thrilled me so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Slaughter, but Slaughterhouse Five, I feel like eleven-year-olds should read it. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like <laughs> I, I think, I mean, I don't know, like they, you know, they're reading, they read these like epic vampire trash shit books, and like, <laughs> and it's like Slaughterhouse Five is like, first, it's called Slaughterhouse Five, man. What kid wouldn't want to read that? Oh but yeah, like, it's so visceral. It's, yeah. You know, there's aliens, there's war, there's mm-hmm. dick jokes, like it's great, like. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, like I didn't get it the first three times I read it, but I thought I did, yeah. and it was it was excellent. Um, I found the best way to get like eleven, twelve year olds to read anything is to be like, "Oh no, no, no! That actually, that's too inappropriate for you. Give me that back." Well, they, they can read that in read that. seven years. And then <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah, to say that. like, that's that's kind of how I ended it. up reading it. <laughs> like yeah. I had like no, no, no. This was this was in 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 school. Like I said. Um, I wanted to do a book report on it. Like where it was like, you know, you could do a book report, pick a book and do a book report on it. And I had this teacher and I hated this teacher. I was sort of, I was not a good kid in school. And, and, um, this teacher, um, she said no. And and even looking back on it, I'm like, no, she, she was actually bad news too. But she said, I couldn't read it. I couldn't do Slaughterhouse five because we were going to, as a class read Fahrenheit 451 in a few weeks. (laughs) <laughs> and I told, and, and like, I remember my parents, I think who I, who I got the sort of authority problem thing from, I was like, she told me I can't read this book. 
And they were like, fuck that. You read whatever book you want. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And they bought me Slaughterhouse Five. You know, because like, I just I wanted it because it was called Slaughterhouse Five. Uh-huh. Like, I didn't know anything it's about a it. Guaranteed way to get a kid to read a book. Hell yeah. yeah, no kidding. yeah. I just recently did that with a, uh, a book for my older son. I gave him a book, and I'm not going to say what, but I was like, yeah, read a few pages of it. And I was like, oh, actually, give that back. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. It's totally inappropriate. You can't read that. I'm going to hide it. And he was like, oh, shit. I got to read that now. <laughs> you um, find him at like 2 a.m. Vonnegut is one of those ones. Like, or something. Sneaking uh, I can't wait. I hope I hope so. I'm, yeah. like, I'm challenging them. I'm like, going to ban him from it. I actually just recommended Slaughterhouse-Five to a friend like three hours ago today. A good friend of mine back home Dude, who like, yeah. doesn't read much, and he's like, "I'm bored at home. Like, he's such an extrovert. He's like, I gotta read something. What do I read?" I was like, "All right, man. Yeah, man. Slaughterhouse Five is really good." There's a lot of there's a lot of shit going on in Timequake about pandemics, like at the end of the world. <laughs> uh, if you haven't like, it, I actually haven't read Timequake. I, I think yeah, I've read Timequake. all of the novels up till Timequake. I think, except for it's I, kind of it's kind of not a great book. It's like yeah. an excuse for him to put a lot of his aphoristic shit into just like one big book. Yeah. But at the end of it, it is sort of like the end of the world, and there's global pandemic, and it's totally worth reading. Um, and huh. I saw him read from it in this is probably 1996 huh. in tattered cover Denver whenever it came out 97 whenever that came out it was the yeah. one time I got to see him um, but uh, even now I think that book is super relevant and like I really hope that like my kids go through that phase of just wanting to devour every one of them yeah um, yeah because I th- I think that like I would totally facilitate that. Like, if they came home and were like, oh, you know, I can't get Cat's Cradle at school anymore, I'd be like, well, fuck you. Are you going to get Cat's Cradle <laughs> yeah. right now? No, that book, I was going to say, like, that, it was really, it was that Slaughterhouse Five and Breakfast of Champions that were, when I was a kid, was, they, they were, those three were, were unreal. The Trinity. Like, over and over. Wow. Yeah. 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 Wow. Dave, uh, any final thoughts from you, yeah, Dave? Yeah, like, I still have so many questions, but we got to wrap this up uh, to respect your time here, Adam. Um, I mean, like, I have questions about some of the theological stuff in the instructions um, to do with Judaism and, like, your upbringing. Matt kind of asked you that about about that early. And I just wanted to mention that, like, how formative this was for me, this in the instructions was for me in thinking myself, thinking about myself as a as a goy and in terms of goyishness. (laughs) And I actually got a chance to live in Tel Aviv for six months in 2014. Oh, wow. My wife was doing some work for her master's there with a peace-building organization. And, you know, we did, like, day trips to Jerusalem all the time and stuff. And and just I just thought about the instructions, like, every day while I was there because I'm a Gentile (laughs) Canadian person, Uh, especially, like, when you go to places like the Wailing Wall and the Temple Mount and, like, you know, like... So the instructions was, like... Uh, always present in my thinking when I was living there, you know, just about like, oh, that's here's who I am in this culture. Um, and it was, it was really kind of a cool exercise to get me thinking about like nationality and ethnic heritage and things like that. So, um, oh, cool, cool. I've got thoughts about six that. months um, in Tel Aviv. Yeah. Yeah. Six months as well. It was cool. actually two days after we got there is when the, uh, Israeli Gaza, uh, conflict known as operation protective edge started. Oh, wow. So rockets were coming into Tel Aviv, like five or six rockets a day, missile interceptions above the city. I was frantically Googling like flights to Greece to get us the hell out of there because I was thought we were going to die. And then after like four days, it was like, 
oh, this is fine. Stop. The siren goes yeah. off. Yeah. You know, you look at each other in bed, roll back over, like, the, the Iron Dome's got this. No worries. And it, yeah, and yeah, it did, yeah. miraculously. Like, it, it was amazing. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a fascinating six months of my life, for sure. One of the richest. Oh, sure, sure. But yeah. Um, I've got questions about... Okay, so I have to ask you about Jacob McGraw-Mickelson, who did the cover of the instructions, because yeah, he yeah. is, like, my favorite artist, living or dead. And I have an original piece at home by him in Victoria, which is nice. kind of a funny story. He he sent it to me because I ordered a print, and it took months, and I just checked in with him eventually. He was like, hey, is that coming? He's like, oh, my gosh. I, th- I thought, I can't believe it's been four months. I'm sending you the original. <laughs> and I was like, no, please don't. Like, that's too generous. He's like, too late. <laughs> um, but but uh, how did that come about with him? Uh, what's like, What was your working relationship coming up with the cover for well, the instructions? Well, I had nothing direct with him. And I think okay. it was also, I think it was him and his partner, Rachel. Yeah, Rachel Sumter. Um, Power couple yeah. of the visual art world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, and so everything was sort of... Uh, filtered through Eli, through Eli Horowitz, my oh, editor yeah. there. Right, yeah. And and it was like, he, uh, he's brilliant. He, all those beautiful McSweeney's covers, that, oh that's like, you know, I mean, he didn't, he, he didn't make them. He's not the artist. He's, he's choosing them and sort of refining. Um, and so as I remember it, there were a couple other covers and both of us were kind of like, eh, and I don't even know if Jacob and Rachel had done them. They were like, they were nice images, but they weren't great for the book. And then like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like Eli would talk to me. He was this amazing communicator, especially with this stuff. And and I said something and he refined it and he said it to them. And then they just came back with what was basic, what almost exactly what became the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And uh, yeah, and it was, but it was, it was like they did drafts. It was really cool, man. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, yeah, I was really happy. I was really happy with both the covers. In yeah. fact, I'm, and I'm very happy with the bubblegum cover. I mean, it's, I, I've been very lucky yeah, in terms of uh, book covers. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if they told you, you know, it's going to smell like bubblegum. Oh, really? You know this? What? The galley doesn't. Yeah, isn't that weird? It's going yeah, to be scratching Yeah, the galley doesn't. The galley doesn't. I, it's more like a heat and sniff, I oh, guess. Awesome. Like, as far as I can tell, they sent me, they sent me one thing a few months ago and, and it was like, if you, if you, it's just the jacket. It's not the, it's not the, um, the, the casing. Right. Um, but the jacket, if you, yeah, it's like, if you hold the jacket in your hand for a second, it becomes redolent of bubble gum. Like <laughs> it's, right. and I think if, I think if it's just sitting there, it doesn't, uh-huh. but I'm not sure. I have a weak nose. I'm a heavy smoker. Um, but, yeah, we but got that impression from it, this book. Yeah. You're, you're mentioned yeah. as having smoked only more than belt magnet. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Levin, yeah. author of the instructions, maybe is like one of the only living people on earth who smokes more than belt magnet or something like yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not anymore, not anymore. But I did at one point. Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I guess for a final thought, Matt, um, it would be to say that for for Wallace fans who are coming to this book, I found a lot of Wallacean resonance throughout it, and I think a lot of it was like really beautiful homage. And I actually have like a thirteen point questionnaire for you here, which I think we're probably out of time for, but it's like. Uh, is this a direct Wallace reference that's intentional? Confirm, deny, mm. or plead the fifth on this? Um, all right, give it to me. We can oh, do, do you want it? Wanna? Okay, it. all right. Yeah, um, yeah. Clyde's, Clyde reminds me so much of James Incandenza's father. Uh, you know, like the early scenes in the 1960s mm. scenes in Arizona in the garage mm. uh, where he's mm. drinking slowly and getting yes, drunker yeah, totally. and he's provoking his manhood at every turn. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he's doing, he's, he's, he's <laughs> complaining about um, method actors. Yes. 
yeah. is there was there uh, some kind of um, resonance between them and then the relationship between Belt and his dad there? Because I felt like there was um, a, a I, Now that you say that, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's interesting, but I'm going to go with deny. I'm going to go with deny. Definitely not deliberate. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, uh, number two. Um, on page 31, there's a coded timeline uh, mm-hmm. set in 2013. It kind of reminds me of that page, uh, I think, 231 in Infinite Jest, where he finally gives you the timeline of subsidized time years. Um, confirm or deny what page dave i'm sorry what i wasn't i didn't have my bible open here, <laughs> page 31 31 there's, a, 31. Okay. there's something of a like a coded timeline where you can start to sort of piece ah yeah no no d- deny you kind of have to piece it out a bit but um you can you can sort of figure yeah, out yeah, yeah. What, what the timeline is yeah <laughs> oh i had one like this I, I, let me interrupt right quick and say what about nurse clyde and the instructions versus clyde belt here Ah, you know, honestly, I haven't read the instructions since I published the instructions, <laughs> and I forgot that Nurse Clyde existed in the instructions. Uh, I, I forgot enough. Nurse Clyde's fair name. Enough. I'll take it. Yes, yeah. I'll, I love I'll the name take Clyde. I just so. wanted to throw it out there. Yeah, all right. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, point three I already sort of mentioned, the swearing parrot belonging to Sally the Balls, akin to Vlad from Broom of the System. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I certainly read Broom of the System a long time ago. It's yeah. it's possible, but I'm gonna go deny. Yeah, cool. I mean, I appreciate that. Like a lot of this, is you named some other ones. You you asked me about this earlier, and I was like, you actually hit a couple. So that's not. That's, I'm not gonna go deny all the way through. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's a good one. Page 147. Lotta Hog describes eating pizza, turning it into pure energy, mm-hmm. so that she can, may continue to grow her body and repeat the process many, many more times. Uh, this mm-hmm. like this reminded me so much of the Norman Bombardini scene from Broom of the System where he's eating nine steaks so that he can grow to infinite size and consume the universe. Um, oh, that in itself is yeah. sort of an allusion to the Monty Python thing. Yeah, that too. Also, to, right? to, yeah. to the meaning the of life, mint right? The, the barfing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One mint yeah. waffle. Yeah. <laughs> Deny. Yeah, nice. All right. Um, on page 159 and 160, no, please don't, offers comfort, makes, uh, makes him feel understood. And I know a lot of people have said this about Infinite Jest, this idea that you know, fiction makes us less lonely is something that Wallace mm-hmm. seemed to, to say quite a bit. Um, yeah. Now, we've already covered sort of the empathy territory with you. There's a firm deny there, so I assume that's going to be yeah. <laughs> kind yeah. of similar. But do you think fiction, does, so, that, sort does it of do similar, that for yeah. you a I, little bit? I, I, think, I think a lot about um, Wallace, the person who discussed his, his work, versus not I shouldn't say a lot but as I mentioned earlier I wish I didn't have to but I you know I read mm-hmm. stuff yeah. about about him and what he says about his work and some of the sort of uh you know the this is water stuff yeah. and I, and I kind of try to pretend it doesn't exist like it kind of cuz I think it, it actually I it doesn't it doesn't ruin it I just yeah. think it it actually is I think describing one's novel is always hopefully if the novel's any good is significantly um, less accurate than the novel describing itself, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and so, so that's a fair point. I think I kind of, yeah, I, I kind of don't like the idea of a statement about what what one's fiction uh, does mm-hmm. or is supposed to do. That's definitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think I was maybe maybe I was making a little joke 
<laughs> yeah, that was a, uh, let's call it a let's, let's say a plea the fifth. Even though I'm not I'm not trying to hide. I just um, yeah yeah. <laughs> I can't quite remember where my head was at. Right? Yeah yeah. I'm sure like if a novel takes you seven years, it's hard to pinpoint uh, all these particular yeah. moments like that, right? Yeah. Um, all right. Point six, page one ninety two. There is a mention of the brief interview. Uh, of course, Wallace had page brief interviews with hideous men. Well, I certainly know brief interviews. Specific with reference or just pure coincidence? I'm I'm looking at it in bubblegum. I gotta I, I can't see it in bubblegum. Hold on. 192, you say. Uh, brief interview. Brief interview. I'm I'm guessing it's a I'm deny. guessing it's a deny because I don't even remember this. <laughs> All right. Deny. Deny. Cool. Cool. Um, number seven. There's a, on page 296. There's a letter from the mom with a perfect description of Belt having Wallace's writing style, which is the voice in which I think when my thinking's most complex and deliberate. Your style is infectious, contagious. After a couple hours of reading your journals, I found I just couldn't help but rip them off. And I know that a lot of people describe Wallace's writing as that, like capturing that perfect mm-hmm. brain voice, except for just in like a mm-hmm. way more articulate kind of form. Um, mm-hmm. I feel that your writing has a, like a very similarly addictive property um, with mm-hmm. like the slang stuff and the cadence and things like that. Um, was that something? Plead the fifth. Plead the fifth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, there's an excellent number eight there's a filmography from one of the characters Uh, it reminded me a little bit of of like the James uh, Incandenza filmography endnote in Infinite Jest was there a bit of Mm -hmm. resonance there for you there uh, there's a filmography where's the filmography well the the section that just describes all the films yeah oh yeah no certainly I I mean I wouldn't say that's like a that's not a nod so much as I loved that part in Infinite Jest, and, oh, and I yeah. thought about that for years. So, uh-huh. so I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to even go plead the fifth. I'm going to go somewhere between, you know, plead the fifth and 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 confirm. Like it's, uh-huh. it's uh, yeah, yeah. Cool. I love that. That was one. That was one of the great thrills of reading that book the first time. Oh yeah, was so funny. was getting involved in that filmography, in that yeah. fictional filmography. So yeah, yeah. Well, one of my great friends in Vancouver right now is reading. He's trying to read Infinite Jest for the fifth, fourth time now. I think he's he mm-hmm. got to page five hundred mm-hmm. at one point. Quit, couldn't do it. He just texted me the other day that he finished the filmography and he was like, he's like, oh yeah, I remember that part. That was really good. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm gonna pare down my list to one final last one because it's getting right, it's getting late cool. for you guys. Um, on page oh, yeah, well, three ninety five, there's a what appears to be an English teacher or creative writing teacher talking to their class, and they're neurotic Confirm. about grammar. And it pretty strongly seemed to me like David Foster Wallace like was the character yes. in that scene. That's a confirm. <laughs> Full confirm. Full awesome. Confirm. I love that section so much. I thought about reading it for for my selection. Um, but I didn't want to give you know too much specifically away. But I overall, I'm I just... really I'm really glad you recognize it. That, that's, cool, that cool. makes me happy. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I just think that people who listen to the show are gonna find uh, a lot of joy in bubblegum with you know some of this Wallace resonance stuff specifically, but um, in all of the other myriad aspects that we've talked about that make bubblegum such a fun and poignant and evocative ride. So uh, we just want to. Again, thank you so much, Adam, for talking to us about your new book and your your older books. And uh, it is honestly like the thrill um, of a podcaster's lifetime to have uh, you on a literary show like this to talk about your work. So thanks for staying up late. Uh, you're and, nice. And, and being thanks. with us. It was, a, it was a pleasure. It was really great talking to you guys. Thank you so awesome. much. Cool. 
um, just by way of uh, a final wrap up uh, in these sort of COVID times we're living in, Adam, what do you have any like strong book recommendations, th- things you've read lately that have been sort of taking you out or of Or music or music, film. film the... Any pop culture stuff that people should check out? Well, I mean, like I said, I'm reading Executioner's Song right now for the first mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Have you guys read this? No. Norman Mailer, yeah. sure. Yeah. It, it's it's fucking unbelievable. I mean, I, it's it's unlike all the other Mailer stuff I've read, like mm-hmm. which I don't particularly dislike, but I've never I've never sort of been that floored by Mailer, and this is killing me, man. This is mm-hmm. like I go out and I like miss it. I, I'm like <laughs> I, I can't wait to get home and read it, and it's it's uh it sort of keeps on giving. I'm like two thirds in. It's an 1100 page book, and it's it's oh, wow. just it's unreal. Amazing. Um, but but I think I, I I read that book way too soon. I, I read that book when I was like a, a seventeen eighteen years old. Oh, wow. oh yeah. I'll say if the if the archive if you want to come see the original drafts of it, they're here in Austin, the Ransom Center. Uh, no shit. Mailer's archive. Yeah. It's wild. It's such a wild book. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the uh, I, I wrote something for some some website thing that's going to go up. I think this week. It's a very short thing, but 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 I think uh, Franny and Zooey. Um, is always extremely chilling out to me. <laughs> like oh, yeah. it, 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 it's uh, I, for Sounds you know right. I love that book and and I think that just uh, it, it it's it's born up under a zillion rereads. Um, <laughs> and so I'm I'm thinking you know I'm like maybe next week maybe I'll be done with the mailer. I'll try to read something else and I'll go there. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, there's so many books, you know, like there, there's, that's the thing. <laughs> um, even just recently, I mean like, no, there's like, I've read, I've read a lot of good books lately. Like, um, the last Jesse ball book is unreal. Um, divers game. Um, you guys, you guys are familiar with Tabordo, right? With Christian. Oh yeah. His, yeah. His, we read, we read, we talked about him with, uh, with Kyle, uh, Kyle Beachy. Yeah. 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 Christian's one of my favorite writers. Um, and his Tough his new collection, home. I think, is yeah, the Tough best thing is a written. wild ride. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but did you, did you read Ghost Engine, the new thing? Ghost Engine, the short stories. Yeah. Uh, I have yeah. not. I've not got my hands on it yet. But uh, you mentioned it recently, and I'm I put it on my top of my to read list. So good. And uh, and then the other one was. Uh, have you guys read uh, Adam Ehrlich Sachs? No. Oh, you you'd love this guy, man. This you, you could you could find a couple of his stories online. So he has a collection of stories, but then he has this novel that got like criminally too little press last year, mm. um, called "The Organs of Sense," which is insane. It's like it, it's it's like if Bernhard were actually like a hundred times funnier than Bernhard already is, and mm. um, it's uh the premise is like, it's the worst idea for a book ever. And it's so just rock star pulled off every step of the way. It's that <laughs> it's that Leibniz before he really becomes Leibniz goes looking for this astronomer who claims to have charted all the, the stars in the sky and who's blind. And like, and then he okay. finds him, the astronomer tells him this epic story. And that's okay, the book. That and it's, rad. and it's, I, I, I'm down. it's we'll so down. good. It's it'll blow your mind. It's it's okay. it's so good. Um, like hurt yourself laughing good. Um, okay, great. So yeah, but we'll put we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to your book. Yeah, and where Beautiful. people can go and pick that up. And uh, you know, we'll put a link to your website, which oh, has thank some you. great reviews of the book. Um, Adam Levin, Adam Levin. If, com. 
Yeah. Adam Levin, Adam Levin. Um, I can kind of relate to that nomenclature as I own Bolano, Bolano.com. But you can't really do the, the tilde in the fucking URL. So uh, are like you a big Bolano fan? Oh, yeah. Not as I actually am, but yeah. um, like to the point long time ago of like, you know, doing massive deep, reads into savage detectives in 2666 but i i just just that duplicating the name yeah like, that was like yeah. my shit so <laughs> yeah. I'm totally related. that's fun but by the way um, actually you know in terms of books for for covid i i just reread savage detectives last summer mm, and the first yeah, time i'd read it fucking great book yeah i i, I hated it the first time I hated it. Well, I'd read 2666 I, and I thought it was the most amazing thing I'd read in years. Yeah, and then great. I got Savage oh, yeah. Detectives and I was so disappointed. <laughs> and like and and everyone was telling me I was crazy. And and I was like you're crazy. It's about fucking poets. Who cares? You know like and I don't know what happened. We were in we were in Spain last summer and I just read the book mm-hmm. in like 4 days like on this like I didn't I didn't even go to the beach. Like the beach was across like <laughs> the board like we we were at an apartment in the south of Spain. It's really cheap area of Spain, um, where actually they're supposed to be in bubblegum, and and That's where he um, lived. yeah, and and and, uh, and I could look outside, and there's the sea, and I did not go. I just read Savage <laughs> Detectives. Like it was, it was wow. like I, I was like, how how did I miss this? Like I read the whole book the yeah. first time, mm-hmm. and I just didn't like it. Hmm. And this time I was like, this, this is an amazing book. Um, joy. But that I think would be a great you know coronavirus read. Okay. Um, Anyways, that, yeah, totally. Matt, you and I are both reading uh, Duck's Newburyport right now by Lucy Elman. How is that? Oh, it's great. It's I am phenomenal. loving it. It's really great. Nice. Yeah. I'm about 130 pages in right now. But, and it's, but listen, yeah. Dave, I, I, I tell Dave this, and I I have a strong belief that, like, if you go to, and this is for anyone listening, if you've ever been to, like, a literary reading where you're going to an author's reading at a bookstore and they're reading from their new book just pretend that all other books don't exist <laughs> just focus on that one fucking book like for an hour or two hours however long it takes yeah just don't fucking acknowledge any other book even existing <laughs> and so like part of me is like let's just edit all this out all i want to talk about is bubblegum i don't want to pretend that like nothing else exists like don't don't ever make learn from my mistakes don't talk about any if you're talking with an author who's just published an amazing book that's it that's all that exists that's the world yeah that's my world so like i could go at least another like two hours in this book easily like there's whole characters we haven't even brought up there's whole like plot lines we haven't even brought up um i feel like we just scratched the surface and it's been like two freaking hours of talking yeah, with you yeah. and like what an honor but like no other books dave yeah okay. ducks newberry port never heard of it uh never heard of yeah, it yeah i'm i'm we're done Matt is out. for the he's, seventh, he's seventh out. time he's right now no i'm not i'm not out i'm just like i'm out on every other thing except bubblegum yeah. i'm gonna go read the chuck yeager thing next. oh yeah that part it, is amazing um well all right let's wrap it up then we want to thank uh, a brand new patron richard blackwell thanks richard so much for your support uh, as usual we want to thank robin o'neill for her amazing art that she's contributed to to our show um and when i said that jacob mcgraw is my favorite living artist robin is equally right there as well she check her stuff out if you haven't lately she's doing rad stuff all the time 
Uh, we want to thank the band Parquet Courts for their song Instant Disassembly. And I really want to give a special thank you to Robert Bloom, who's your editor at Doubleday, Adam, who sent yeah. us a really sweet letter along with the galley review copies of your book and was nice. so much fun to correspond with him as we were setting all this up over the last few months. Great guy. Yeah, he seems, guy. seems rad. And uh, a big thanks, too, to episode 45 guest Kyle Beachy, who put us in touch with you in the first place, Adam, and uh, really made this whole episode possible. So, Kyle, thank you so much for that, man. Uh, thank you again, Adam. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, Matt, where can people find us? We're concavityshow at gmail.com. We really like it when people email mm. us. We get a lot of great emails, and I really look forward to those. I would love it if people send us emails all the time. <laughs> concavity show on instagram concavity show on at concavity show on twitter facebook apparently i don't know where else they <laughs> yeah yeah you nailed it uh all, all the things <laughs> all right. awesome all right once again adam thank you so much yeah no kidding. thanks guys and we're wishing everyone good health in these very uncanny gothic times take care of yourselves no and each other amen <laughs> Catch me now as I say Into darkness I thought to be extinct You would be like, oh shit, how are we going to make this to an hour? But every time, man, it's surprising of how how quickly it goes by right up, right up. and yeah, the time you don't actually have to wrap it up at that point. Yeah. Um, but we, that's usually just our signal to each other that someone is even paying attention to the fucking clock. <laughs> and, <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> and,